Hello and welcome. It's Therapy Thursdays on a Thursday? That can't be right. On This Is Going Well, I think, with David Cooper. And I am your host, David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I think, the show where no one's listening. No one cares. The show where every episode's the last episode. I want to stop. I want to pause. And I want to thank my producer, Danny, for getting me a weird mushroom mug that arrived in the mail yesterday. Thank you, Danny, for the mug. Today, Gary Deerenfeld, social worker, therapist, to talk therapy with me. Well, that's originally the point of the segment, but usually we just shoot the shit. We Jew down, as I say. That's when two Jews discuss things that are annoying to most people. If you like Gary or want to retain him for his services, check him out at YourSocialWorker.com. Let's jump into Therapy Thursdays. Hello. You look freshly shaven, freshly haircutted. Did you? The haircut was an accident. You fell into a pair of clippers? <laughs> like, how does that? Um, from the beginning of COVID, I started cutting my own hair. Jeez. And there I was two weeks ago. And I actually did a, a great job. I do a good job overall. And then I noticed there were a couple of hairs sticking out. What about the back? How do you do a good job on the back? It's amazing what you can do blindfolded. So with these few hairs sticking out and I had switched blades because I do a little shorter around here to clean it all up around the ears. Yeah. So I, I went after those couple hairs sticking up the top and I didn't realize I still had the shorter blade in. <laughs> well, I mean, you look sharp. <laughs> so then I, I, I had to take it all off. Right. Got to make a match. <laughs> I've, I've done that with my sideburns. Like I do one too high and then I do the other one to match it, but that's too high. And then I take the other one up. And then you start chasing one after the other. And by the end of it, I have no sideburns. So that's why I don't do my sideburns anymore. My hair hasn't been quite this short since I was a, uh, you know, a school-aged kid and I used to get brush cuts every other week. Wow. <laughs> My mom wouldn't let us get brush cuts. She said, you look like you're in a concentration camp. This is the, the joy of growing up, uh, growing up with a Jewish mother. Anything we did, it was like, when I got my first tattoo, it was in my arm in the place where, uh, regrettably, many, many sure. people in Europe around that time were tattooed, and my mom was, could not. She still asked me to this day, can I get it removed? She also acts shocked like it's her first time seeing it. I've had this ink for maybe 15 years. So listen... This is why there's transgenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. Seriously, I, I, I'm very sincere. When the person who's experienced the trauma then lays it on top of their children. Yeah, but all of my family got out. Like her family, her parents met before the war in Brazil. Uh, my grandmother escaped through Siberia. Like they weren't there. But they can still bring trauma forward. Yes, I agree. I mean, the Holocaust was not fun even for Jews who weren't there. I get all that. But my mom's a lot. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> she, she sounds it. Okay. I got to issue a correction, and I think it shows how full of shit I am. Because last time you were here, it was December, and I gave a 
heartfelt anecdote about my grandmother's brisket, how her caregiver, when she died, brought the brisket and how lovely that was. Yeah. And about kindness. It was fucking turkey. It wasn't brisket. (laughs) That's how observant I am. I just, I get in the story. I know there's a kernel of truth in it and I tell it heartfelt and sincere. My brother, for whatever reason, decided to listen to my show, which is a real shocker. And he calls me right away. He's like, you know, it was turkey, not brisket. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, with Gary on the show. So I got to issue a correction. And there it is. So you, you know where that correction of yours may be coming from as well? Uh, from a place of moral anxiety. Sure. Oh, my God. I did something wrong. I got something wrong. I got to correct it. God forbid anyone knows that I did something wrong. I, I got to make it right. And, and the truth is, uh, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. People suffer that to a great degree. And here you are a month, two months later, raising this as as a must-be-said thing. My brother made me do it, but yes, go on. Okay, when in fact, uh, you know, most people would allow you that mistake. <laughs> well, I'm glad he didn't call me out on the on the meat of it, which was like her caregiver brought it and this and that. And like, like, like the sentiment was true. And I'm glad it's validated as true, but it was... That's right. The se- it's, it was about the sentiment. Who cares if it was the brisket or the turkey? But some people live and die on this stuff. I agree. I just, I know how it happened. I don't recall like lying and knowingly lie, but I do know that I try to like Jew up my stories to make me seem extra <laughs> Jewy as if I'm Larry David or something. And I, I that, my brain in like performer mode when I'm trying to like dial it up to 11. I chew up my stories. Uh, I gotta be more ethnic than than before. Like if I'm at a restaurant with a friend and I'm telling the story, the story might be accurate, but of course the restaurant gets switched to a deli. Like I have to turn that up to 11 and that's what probably happened. I, I gotta tell you, I have friends of so many ethnicities and I think that saying, Jew up, Greek up, Italian up, I think in a can apply to so many of my friends when they speak with me as well <laughs> i have to be careful um because i use the 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 adjective jewy a lot which is fine if you're jewish uh, well yeah it, like with any ethnicity we can use those words ourselves but heaven forbid somebody outside the ethnicity uses it yeah you know that brings me back to the 1990s when um in a, a group of other service providers, I used what I realized as it came, well, after it came out of my mouth, not as soon as. I I used a, a slur. Oh, I gotta know what it is. Are you not comfortable saying it? <laughs> it was with respect to indigenous persons. And um, it doesn't matter what my intention was. It what What matters was it, you know, I came to understand how offensive it was but the thing is we're all still in this process of learning so so you know if it escapes your mouth and it comes to your attention i think there it's good to have that moral anxiety (laughs) and you do correct it i feel like it's a two strike system like one you didn't know and two like you now know not acceptable yeah 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 I was reading your Facebook page where you post lots of good nuggets. Thank you. And something caught my eye. Which one? Scorekeeping. Or as my girlfriend Miranda affectionately calls people who do this, 
counters. Oh my God, yes. People who count the amount of deeds that they do and you do and- I did this for you, what are you gonna do for me? Exactly, you gotta shore up, square up, whatever. If you take the dog for a walk, you better fold the laundry. And if you don't fold the laundry, I'm one, you're zero. And that adds up. And a month later, I'm mad at you. Those relationships are often very sad and fraught with a lot of conflict. And um, there's an immaturity about that. It's not necessarily how the relationship starts, but if it devolves to that, uh, get help or get out because you're otherwise consigning yourself to a life of misery. And, you know, you may think you get a hit of dopamine every time you hold your partner accountable or one up them but really really is that what you want in a relationship then it's a competition not a partnership correct but i get the impulse for example our cat <laughs> has four chores that need to be done every day two feedings one poop scooping and then a late night kibble <laughs> so four things and i found myself doing all of them most days and so finally i sat down around i'm like let's just try to do you do two i do two you do two i do two every day we but if you fuck up one day and you're busy or you have to rush out to work and you come home late like i'm not gonna sometimes i do hold it against or i shouldn't maybe i'm a counter or you know sometimes we have our preferred activities our preferred chores and our least preferred chores she does the laundry i take down the garbage <laughs> <laughs> hello welcome to my life so uh but if you can at least do it as on the basis of a discussion because then you're actually accommodating each other and you're sharing uh the load and that's okay i think letting it fester is the problem it's like have the conversation try to divide it up if someone screws up one day let it go but don't count over the course of six months in your little notebook every time you walk the dog my wife is good. When I piss her off, not if, but when, because I'm human, I can piss her off. Uh, she'll, if not in the moment, certainly by the next day, she'll, you know, she'll have thought about how to, how she wants to um, raise this with, with me, but she'll say, I want to talk to you about something. Well, that's the phrase that, you know, my spidey sense goes up and all right. And she'll tell me what, what I did that pissed her off. Now, my wife is a nice lady. She's not a bitch. She's not out to get me. So when she does have something to tell me, I, I do listen attentively. I do. And rather than being defensive, because, oh my God, we can all, it's not me, it's you. I wouldn't have, if you hadn't, all that kind of stuff. My next line is typically, what would you like me to have done differently? Which is a really interesting line. That's honestly what I say too. I'm like, how, what can I, how can I best, you know, address your issue next time? Exactly. And again, because my wife is otherwise a, a nice, reasonable person, she'll tell me 99.9 .9 times out of a hundred, what she's looking for is reasonable and doable. Wait, I want to know about the 1.1%, Gary. <laughs> What's she getting you do? You have to bury the bodies with her or what? Then it's a discussion. <laughs> I can't remember what the last one was even about, but I work with the couples where one or the other stands on ego and pride. And as a result, um, that gets in the way of meeting the needs of the other, hearing, um, you know, criticism or requests for change. 
And my God, if you want a good relationship, just just what would be more helpful to you and deliver it. Because more often than not, what's being asked for is typically within reason and typically doable. And if it isn't, okay, there's your red flag. It reminds me of what we were taught in primary school. Growing up in Toronto, I don't know, grade six, we learned this. And it was so dumb, I thought it was an insult to my intelligence. But it stuck with me my whole life. And I love it. And I tell it to others. It's called the win formula of conflict resolution. I don't know if this was specific to the, the junior school I went to, or maybe they taught it all across Ontario, but it's an acronym, WIN. When you, I feel, next time. So like, when you don't take the dog out for a walk every night and it falls on me, I feel like I have to carry more weight of taking care of the pet. We agreed we would both do it. Next time, could you walk them every other day? You know, something like that. David, I've never heard of that before, and I think that's uh, brilliant. So my growing up in the 60s at Bathurst and Wilson, I went to Faywood Public School. And, you know, Toronto's organized by ethnicity. It was then, it still is, less so now, but tremendously so back then. So we're in the Jewish community, and that's all you see there. From kindergarten through to the end of grade six, there was only one Jewish kid, one non-Jewish kid, one non-Jewish kid, in all my classes. Uh, it's the only person whose name I remember, right? Because like Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the others. That was Dolores DeLello. Dolores DeLello. And in Jerry Springer style, she's here with me now. We have her on the line. <laughs> she wants to know. I, I got nothing. Okay, go on. I, I got to tell you, I, I've hunted for her online because I want to apologize. Uh, you know, not it wasn't just me. It was everyone in the class. You guys picked on her for being a gentil? Yeah, Italian. And, you know, one day in grade six, she brought pizza to share with the class. And it wasn't pizza as the rest of the class would have known it with the red sauce, cheese, and whatnot. This had a white, more of a white sauce and... and um, Herbs. It was a fancy schmancy Italian pizza. Well, not fancy. It was much plainer, actually, more like a, a, a focaccia. And everyone made that's not pizza. And me, she's Italian for God's sakes. She brought this from her family, Aww. you know, with love and care. And we just we it was a pile on. And it 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 you know we can be mean. I can be mean as as a kid. Yeah. So um, I've always wanted to find her and have that conversation i've never been able to have you ever gotten one of those or given one of those like 20 years later the apology because I, I got one a few years ago that i still found so odd no i haven't so i was in university and i was working for a professor it was a little group of computer science students doing research and one of the, the people in our group she had just moved to canada and she was iranian and I think I was the first Jew she's ever met. Okay, yeah. She pulls me aside. She's like, I just watched the movie The Pianist. I don't believe that the Holocaust happened. How could that have happened? How could have the Europeans let that happen? And I was just like, what? And I'm like, first of all, I'm not the spokesperson for the Holocaust. Like, go on the internet. Go to a museum. Read a book. <laughs> 
But you're the only thing she knows that represents. I know, but I'm like, I don't want to engage with this. Like, I'm not, I'm not here to. Honestly, I've had similar experiences to that where, where people see me as representative of, and trust me, I'm not. I am not am, and I'm not not. I just don't want to be involved. It's, and then she's like, why don't you want to have this discussion? She starts yelling at me and I, w- and it was in front of my coworkers and I'm like, please back off, please drop this. Oh dear. Didn't think anything of it. It was a little, little fucking annoying. The next day we went back to getting along. She's a wonderful person. I just, I just chalked it up to growing up in Iran. I don't know what those schools are teaching the kids, but probably, you know, stuff like she was spewing. Cause I don't think she was a bad person. Right. She comes to Canada, like married at 19. She's wearing a headscarf, everything. 15, 20 years later, uh, she adds me to Facebook. She's a lesbian. She's divorced. She's working for a tech company in Silicon Valley. I think she's like got a green card. Boy, has she assimilated. She's got like pink hair. And she's like, look, like I'm dating a Jewish girl right now. And I keep on replaying what happened 15 years ago. And I can chalk it up to my ignorance, but I just want to say I'm sorry. I told her it was okay and that I didn't remember. Maybe I shouldn't have lied. I told her I didn't remember, I think, to just absolve her a little bit right. and make it feel like I, because I did remember. And that was that. It was just very strange that she had sat on this for 15 or 20 years. Bravo to her, though, for bringing that up and uh, broaching it with you. I don't know how I got, I got so caught up in the story. And probably her hair was green and not pink, just like it was turkey and not brisket. The tenet of the story. <laughs> the story is true, but did I elaborate, exaggerate? Maybe it was 12 years and not 15. I don't know. Recently, I sent an email to a former professor of mine from undergrad. He would be 90-ish. Wow. And... I never got a reply. I don't know if he got the email, but I wanted to let him know how wonderful I thought he was as a professor. He taught developmental psychology. He was Spanish. His name was Juan Pascualion at York University. His Spanish accent was so thick that half of the class dropped out by the second class because they couldn't understand the guy. Uh, I hung in, and the more you hung in, the more classes you had, the easier it was to understand his accent. Sure. He was brilliant, and the level of information that he provided, and he made it accessible. He could explain the most complex of theories in a way that you could absorb it. He was fantastic, and he was a protege or had studied with one of the brightest in the field, um, Jean Piaget. So to learn from this guy was just such a treat. I never told him that. And here we are, I don't know, 40, 50 years later, and I'm sending an email discussing that and and expressing appreciation. I, I hope he received it. I hope he did too. I, I'm sure there's 90 year olds who are good with email, but you might want to send like a telegraph, <laughs> Morse code. <laughs> You're a prick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's 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 get on to counting or scorekeeping counting. Okay, yeah, because it's it's a game. I mean, it, by definition, if you're if you're scorekeeping, you're playing a game. But by playing the game, you're losing because it leads to grudges. It leads to resentment. If I have the impulse, because let's say I grew up and my parents were scorekeepers. Yes. Purely theoretical, or not. <laughs> How do I not engage with the impulse, especially when I feel my partner's not picking up the slack with something? 
Yeah. First of all, when I do my workshops and I I say to people, you may feel a little odd expressing your issue. You don't want it to reflect poorly on you. So I tell people they they can start their discussion by saying, I have a friend. (laughs) I remember on the internet, I've been sober for like four years now, but when I was a kid, I liked drugs. Okay, Gary, and I'd go on internet forums, read about their effects, this, that, and the other. Yeah. And people would always say, swim does this, swim does this. And it S-W-I-M, someone who isn't me. <laughs> it's like swim bought 10 pounds of acid. I never, I'm learning so much from you. I never heard of that acronym either. And I love it. That was an internet like psychonaut drug lingo from the 90s because they were scared like the FBI or C, the CSIS or whatever it was, or the Royal Canadian Mount, the RCMP. Yeah, so swim. It'd be like, swim is a scorekeeper, and it can lead to resentment. Someone who isn't me. So if you're doing the scorekeeping, or or let's say you grew up with that in your family, first of all, that which you grow up with, many people don't recognize in themselves because it's their normal. You know, um, this is crude, but my shit doesn't smell. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know, my wife walks into the bathroom after me, trust me, it smells, but you know, we get used to ourselves and our own stuff that it's not offensive. So if you are a scorekeeper or your parents were, you first have to realize it before you can even change it. You know, that's number one. Number two is as you're about to engage in scorekeeping behavior, you have to catch yourself. Um, the technical term for that is being mindful. And so that means you have to, um, be self-reflective on an ongoing basis to be self-reflective on an ongoing basis takes practice. And a good place to start is by learning meditation because in meditation, you learn how to catch your emotional state and your thinking state. Uh, with the capacity to then reflect on it, relax yourself, and carry on. So, you know, if you're in this relationship where you did this and I did that, you now know that it's referred to as scorekeeping. You can think back to your upbringing and what you saw in your own parents, and you may reflect and say, son of a gun, I am carrying on the tradition. And then you can reflect you know, how did it work for my parents? Did I feel comfortable when they were doing that? Uh, how is that working for me? And then you can look at changing it from there. So admit you have a problem, figure out a way to be mindful of your own behavior to kind of catch it before it starts. Is there a way other than meditation? I mean, that's, it's a bit new agey, Gary. <laughs> I've been meditating since I was 21 or 22. I, well, I ask is a leading question because for me, talk therapy, it helps me be mindful of these behaviors and develop a catch or develop a... So there you go. You know, another thing that I suggest to people is the technical word is to have a cognitive cue. Cognitive cue is a fancy-dancy term for reminder. So, you know what? My dad was a workaholic, and you got to know I can be a workaholic. So I had a reminder. Uh, The word relax, carved in wood, sat on my computer monitor for years. And I in a sense, imbued that reminder um, with the sentiment that said, Gary, turn off your computer, go see your wife and son, spend some time with them, don't be a workaholic. And because I saw that reminder, I was more apt 
to do that. Without the reminder, it would slip my mind. I carry on in front of my computer. So you, uh, you know, our listeners, you, me, we can use cognitive cues, these reminders for anything. So put down on a piece of paper, no scorekeeping. Yeah. These can be little things, I guess. That's right. Put it in your pocket, pin it onto the, or tape it onto the refrigerator or magnet it onto the refrigerator. So you have a continuous reminder and that helps keep it top of mind for you if you're not going to meditate and do any of these other new age stuff. I don't meditate, but I've recently come to see that one of my behaviors is very meditation-like, which is when I can't sleep. Mm-hmm. I now sleep with my phone out of the bedroom because it's such a distraction. But if I find myself in bed with my mind wandering, I just focus on my breathing. And that always helps me sleep, which I guess is, is meditation in a way. It is. It is. Now, here's the thing. If you're going to practice meditation, I want people to know that it is a learned skill that takes practice. I have people who sit in front of me, oh, I tried it once and my mind wandered and the time was up. Well, you know, it's like I'm not going to play concertos the first time I sit down to the piano. I'm not going to score goals the first time I have a hockey stick in my hand, etc. It it literally is a learned skill that takes practice. Uh, use one of the better known websites, calm, C-A-L-M dot com or headspace dot com. This episode brought to you by Calm. Gary's trying to get a Calm sponsorship. I wish I got money for these endorsements, but I don't. Uh, And you can learn. Look, you can go to YouTube for free and say, learn how to meditate. There will be instructional videos. So wherever you want to go and follow that process and practice it if you want. Okay. Will do. (laughs) It's nice to see you. I mean, I've missed you. I was just going to say, I've missed you. Have you though? It's been a while since we were on together. Yeah, maybe six, seven, eight weeks. It's been a minute. Yeah. You look good. I like the haircut. You look sharp. (laughs) Cut myself on you. You're so sharp. (laughs) Did you swallow a book of... um, Dad jokes? Dad sayings recently? Uh, Maybe. um, For my girlfriend's birthday, I was in charge of getting the cake. It was was a joint birthday between my girlfriend and one of her friends. This weekend, we, we had a party. I got a chocolate cake, and I had the cake say, and I'm, I'm going to start dictating to you what the cake says now. <laughs> Please write, happy birthday, Miranda and friend with cats on it. So I wanted the cake to intentionally be the instructions I gave them. So I had to explain to them, like, don't try to do it right. Do it wrong. If you do it right and write happy birthday and draw cats, you'll have done it wrong. It took like 15 minutes to explain it to them. <laughs> I was so proud of my shitty dad joke. <laughs> I reveal the cake. There's 20 people in my apartment. Mm. Nobody laughs. Everyone's like, huh? Except for one guy. And he's like the one guy who annoys me the most. Who's a friend of my girlfriend's friend. Like, I can't stand this guy. And the guy that I can't stand is the only one who gets a kick out of my cake. And it was almost worse than if no. It's like the one person you don't want to laugh. The one person whose tastes you don't want to play to. he was the one who got my joke (laughs) and i was like i guess this is the level of maybe the reason i don't like this guy is because he's a reflection of me you know he's he well i know that's true the things we don't like in others is often not always but often a reflection of things we don't like in ourselves i'm glad you go to my facebook page now why well you know sometimes you're looking for content for us to use so so it's good for that oh you're accusing me of showing up to these interviews blind unprepared (laughs) <laughs> fucking asshole 
Well, you used to go, <laughs> you used to go to my um, blog. Blog. I put little up there compared to my Facebook page. That's when I actually was quote unquote lazy because I was working so hard. My producer would go to your blog. Okay. And then like copy all the shit from your blog with notes on it. And that's all I would have. Now that I do this show uh, and it's more relaxed and less work, I got time myself to fucking research an interview for 10 minutes. I'm just, I'm grateful and um, humbled that you follow my Facebook page. Oh, stop it. It's true. It's full of shit. He wants something. I don't know. He thinks I know people at Calm. He wants a sponsorship. <laughs> I don't know anyone at Calm, Gary. I can't get you a sponsorship deal. Um, how have you been? Uh, really good. Re my wife, on the other hand, man, oh man, she's had cold after cold oh. since November. It's only been in the last week, 10 days that she hasn't had a cold. So, and apparently she's not unique this season that everyone who gets sick, it just seems to linger and last and linger and last. Well, we stayed indoors for what, two, two and a half years? Our immune systems got soft. We weren't getting exposed to everyone's bullshit, you know? And now, now you hop on the subway and I, you don't have immunity to the common cold. That's it. I sound like a conspiracy theorist. I was pro lockdown at the time. I'm just saying there were consequences. But it's true. There are consequences. After uh, you and I finish our conversation, I'm going to get the injection, the, the um, vaccine for the RSV, RSV virus or whatever it is. RSV? Yeah, RSV. Respiratory. For herpes. Yeah, you know, I get it. Yeah. No, not for herpes, for God's sake. Very active sex life, the swingers parties. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Oh, that's HSV. I think I got the yeah. HSV. That's right. Uh, so when you and I are finished, I'm going to get that respiratory jab and hopefully have another level of uh, protection. I am a big believer in getting all the jabs we can. Uh, earlier this week, I got a jab to test me for tuberculosis because I'm going to become a volunteer at a local hospital uh, in a month or so. So I'm doing all these medical things now to be healthy and prepare for this stuff. Good. I couldn't be bothered getting the most recent shot. It was my first time skipping it because I thought... Yeah. I get a fever the night I get it. I get chills. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to give up a day. I hate the side effects. I'm thinking like, oh, screw it. I've got all the other ones. I, of course, I get COVID. <laughs> uh -huh. And it was way, you know, it was worse than the shot would have been. And it wasn't, I didn't get to choose when I got it. With the shot, I could have chosen like a Friday or Saturday and just recover over the weekend. And my girlfriend who stays in the bed next to me, I don't really take that much precaution because she's like, I'm going to get it anyway. She got the shot. She doesn't get COVID despite sharing a space with me while I'm recovering and I'm not wearing a mask all the time. Um, it just goes to show it's anecdotal. You know, it's not, a, it's not a triple blind research study, but apparently the most recent shot works anecdotally. Yeah, I, I didn't know my wife for a month because we distanced ourselves even though it was a cold and she slept in another bed and because we still practice safe practices for being healthy so i had a really good year last year for business i saw a lot of people um it, it was actually a very good year i worked about 40 weeks of the year i'm you know going to be 68 in a couple of weeks time so am i slowing down yeah yeah i'm not retiring but i'm i'm laying back a bit 
You're mentally very spry for 68. You, you come off as like in your 40s to me. Yeah? Just all the white hair, maybe, you know, ages you up a bit. <laughs> if I throw some shoe polish on it, then I'll, you know, more match my... What are you, Justin Trudeau painting your face with shoe polish? Don't do it, Gary. It's a mistake. Don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> God forbid. Don't even go there. Yeah. But, I, I you know, I am you know slowly easing back the practice but i imagine i still got a couple of years ahead of me i love i love meeting with you i love meeting with people i love the work that i do it's not always you know sometimes it's it's quite difficult you have a difficult person in front of you where their personality makes helping them a challenge uh, so that happens from time to time but more often than not the people i meet with they're so lovely and they're dealing with circumstances that no one ever asked for. Yeah. Must be nice helping people. It is. You know, people have said to me, how, how can you stand your work? You, you're meet, meeting with people in distress all the time. I said, that's only how they start. That's not how they end. <laughs> yes, that is true. Yeah, it's, it's nice. Do you get, like, ever get nice notes from people that after you've helped them? I do. I do. And, uh, you know, last night you know from a a meeting earlier in the week even you know gary i so appreciated meeting with you i got so much out, out of our and you have to know david i think you do know when i meet with people i set aside three hours i'm not this 50 minute therapist i know you're psychotic sorry you're uh, thorough <laughs> yeah yeah so we really have a, an opportunity the first time we meet to dig in and get something out of it and for me to offer feedback so yeah i i got you know, one of those emails just last night from someone seen earlier in the week. And, and it's a pleasure to know that you can have a positive impact, impact in the life of another. And especially, especially when you don't just impact that person, but it winds up rippling out to their family and to their children. I got, an, I got a nice note from a listener. It was a leading question, but I, didn't, I couldn't figure out a way to work it in the conversation. So I just... <laughs> so what was that about? Oh, no, I just, I get them every now and again. They're all so nice. And I remember when I first started doing this and I'd get like one a year and how much that would mean to me. And then I got the job with Bell and, and then I started getting, you know, three, four or five times a week, people would reach out, and, you know, just little notes. Yeah, it always means a lot to me and it's so lovely, yeah. It is lovely. You're born human, I'm born human. And there isn't anyone who doesn't benefit from gratitude and appreciation. These are like, oh, a thing you said on the radio I really connected with. You, it's like you saved my fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Don't discount what a single message from a talk show host can provide. Yeah. Well, I, I know because there's things I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. In my life when I was going through a shitty time and I listened to somebody and it, I was connected with it and for sure. Yeah, so I get it. But I, I don't think, you know, the pessimist, the Jew in me is like, I'm not capable of creating that <laughs> level of connection with an audience. I'm full of shit. Oh, don't be so Jewy. Didn't we start there? I know, we did. Should we end there? Probably. Oh, <laughs> uh, and to, to our beautiful listener. <laughs> Singular intended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you're Jewish, yeah, go ahead. If you're not, oh, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I work with this guy. He co-hosts a lot of stuff with me, Tony, and he's black. And I'm like, sometimes he's saying things, and I have to stop myself. Like, it's okay. He's the one saying it. Yes, but you may have to remind the listeners that he's black. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I do want our listener listener to know that over the course of my life, I've absolutely got it wrong. I've changed course and corrected and learned. And David, honest to God, I'm still learning. Honest to God, I, I, I still may use an idiom without recognizing that it may be offensive, right? and uh upon feedback and and please if you're going to give somebody feedback do it informationally not accusatorily or lambastingly just let them know because most people are reasonable and don't want to come across as as rude or disrespectful that's why i like the win formula when you i feel next time it's it's not accusatory it's like when you do this it's just descriptive I feel this is the impact it has on me. Next time, do this. It's not you intended. There's no room for like for accusatory behavior in the win formula, which I like. And with that, David Cooper has snatched the pebble from my hand. <laughs> That's offensive. My grandmother was a pebble. <laughs> Gary, thank you for your time as always. All the best.